Matamaria, welcome to First Up. It is Ramire. That's Friday, the 2nd of September. Coming up, Serena Williams overpowers the world number two in her final US Open. I'll be talking to Bevan Hurley in New York City uh, as the UK recovers from a heat wave and floods ravage Pakistan. We're going to ask Niwa what our spring was going to look like. And as COVID numbers drop, Australia reduces the isolation period from seven days to five. Are we going to do the same sort of thing? What about masks? Professor Michael Baker is with us, and it's all Blacks Eve. Can they win with the same team? The uh, the locals of Hamilton, well, they're, they're not quite so sure. Well, I'd have to say I'm back in the All Blacks, but I'm not sure at the moment. They need a bloody kick in the bum. Maria, welcome to First Up. Hello to you. Hello to your families and hello also to your to your neighbours today. Have a happy Friday, everybody. Uh, and because it is Friday, we like to start in New York City and Bevan Hurley awaits us. He's with us now. Kia ora, Bevan. How are you? Kia ora, Nathan. Doing well, thanks. It's, it's a very interesting time, an incredibly interesting time in US politics. I could probably say that in any time in the last six or seven years. However, uh, even more interesting that it looks like the Republicans lost... Would you call it an unlosable uh, race here? Sarah Palin lost her Alaska House race, and and who is the person that's going to be representing in Congress now? Yeah, Mary Peltola made history on Wednesday night as she became the first Democrat to uh, win a statewide election in almost 50 years in Alaska. Um, Ms. Peltola will also be the first native Alaskan to represent the state since it joined the union in 1959. Uh, her mother actually hails from the Yupik uh, group of indigenous peoples. Um, so Nathan, the election was held two weeks ago, but due to Alaska's ranked choice voting system, the result was only finalized last night. And it represented a, an enormous upset in a state that has voted Republican in every presidential race since 1964. Um, Sarah Palin had been looking to stage a political comeback 14 years after she first exploded onto the national stage when John McCain selected her to be his vice presidential running mate in the 2008 election. And she um, had the benefit of widespread name recognition and the endorsement of the former president, Donald Trump. And she went all in on the culture wars, you know, employing that typically folksy word salad on the campaign trail, while her opponent ran a relentlessly upbeat campaign that contrasted her reputation for kindness and cast herself as a regular Alaskan saying, I'm not a millionaire, I'm not an international celebrity. Um, now, Peltola also ran heavily on protecting abortion rights, and it's that um, issue that is really uh, pointing um, to potential benefits for the Democrats in the midterms in November. Um, since the Supreme Court's decision to end national abortion rights protections, Conservatives have racked up a string of stunning losses in normally safe seats. Uh, they also lost that... Um, amendment uh, vote in Kansas uh, four weeks ago that would have um, banned abortion in the state. And um, yeah, Democrats are really hoping that they can defy the odds and maybe hold on to one or both the Senate and the House in November, Nathan. Oh, well, at least she can be in her home in Alaska where she can see Russia. Remember that? I can see Russia from my house. <laughs> That's a great quote. Hey, now tell us this. Uh, Omicron boosters um, have just got the approval from the FDA. Tell us about those. these the new ones, are they? 
They are, yeah. These are Omicron targeting COVID booster shots, and they're set to be rolled out across the US in the coming weeks after receiving emergency authorization from the Food and Drug Administration on Wednesday. Now, health officials are hoping that Americans will turn out and roll up their sleeves again to protect themselves against this dominant uh, Omicron variant that accounts for nearly 90% of all cases now and has proven so adept at getting around the previous vaccines. Um, the hope is that this will guard against uh, people getting severely ill and and even dying during an expected uh, rise in cases this winter. Um, so the boosters are reformulated versions of the original Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. They still need to get sign-off from the CDC, but that's expected to happen any day, and the shots could become available as soon as next week. Um, booster shots will only be available to people who are already fully vaccinated, and health officials recommend waiting at least two months um, after a pre previous shot. Um, so this is really part of the Biden administration's attempt to mount a more assertive defence against a virus that has evolved drastically over the last two and a half years and is still killing an average of 400 to 500 people a day in the US. And these protections can't come soon enough, Nathan. Um, this week we learned that US life expectancy has fallen to its lowest level since 1996. And this is all due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So life expectancy now stands at just 76.1 years compared to 79 in 2019, Nathan. Um, the, the greatest to ever do it in the modern era, uh, the greatest tennis player of the modern era, Serena Williams. Um, she's not having a bad US Open. They said, oh, she's too old. and She's just beaten the world number two. Magnificent, wasn't it? Um, Serena stormed back in the third set to defeat number two world-ranked Estonian Annette Kontovic in the second round last night. And um, it was all on a knife's edge going into that third set. Kontovic had taken the second set 6-2 before Williams came out firing and just demolished her opponent. Um, and after the match, she was asked what changed for her in that final uh, set. And um, because she'd been off for a brief bathroom uh, break. And the tennis star said that she just got lighter. And then uh, with, with a laugh, she told media, just to use their imagination, it wasn't a number two, <laughs> which is brilliant. And, um, you know, having, having announced that she was going to evolve away from tennis after this year's US Open, you know, her farewell has really captured the imagination of the wider sporting world and beyond. The celebrities have been turning out en masse. Attendance and ratings are way up on previous years. And everyone's really hoping she can um, continue this this amazing run and in the audience last night Nathan was Tiger Woods and um, after the match Serena spoke about the influence that um, Woods had had on her she said that Tiger was one of the main reasons she was still playing and had been helping her stay motivated so that's that's really nice and um, we'll all be uh, watching on Friday night when she uh, faces Australia's Alia Tomovich in the third round. Yeah I saw Tiger Woods doing the fist pumps there in the crowd. Bevan Hurley we expect to see you there next week please there he is Bevan Hurley with us live from New York. It's 11 past five here on First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radudi. And I'm keen for your feedback on something which I saw a couple of days ago. So I saw that Plunkett is in a bit of financial trouble. And then I was having a look and I thought, well, I wonder if, because they were wonderful for us as a family. And I know some people said, well, we didn't like our Plunkett nest, but we loved ours. And I think so many uh, families in New Zealand have been, you know, managed to get off to a successful start because Plunkett could come to help. And I was thinking... What about private sponsorship for it? Would you? What do you think of that? Is that a good idea? Because if we can't get, because no one wants to pay more tax, apparently. So if we can't get any more government money, how would you feel about a private sponsor? Like maybe pull one off a, one of those America's Cup yachts and, and chuck it at them. What do you think? Two one oh what? Yeah, vote Vodafone. Can I say a brand? Vote, uh, you know something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Vodafone Plunkett or I don't know 
well, no, no, New Zealand Post Monkey. 2101, or email us first up at rnz.co.nz. He said as he uh, steps around the minefield of trying not to say any sponsors' names here on a public broadcaster. Uh, shocking satellite images from the Sindh province in Pakistan show a stretch of land that was once brown and arid has turned into a 100-kilometre-wide lake after the Indus River has broke its banks. Rainfall has been 500% above average in the Sindh and Balistan provinces. I asked journalist Shamir Baloch uh, for the latest. It has been a few days, It maximum two days. It's not rained a lot like it has been raining for last few weeks, but there is some forecast and ex- expectations and warnings that it would rain in a week or so. Oh, so no. again, at the same time, uh, it is it didn't rain, but some towns in in rural sin they have come under water, and many thousands, hundreds and thousands of people have had migrated yesterday, such as from Dadu dis- district in Sindh and uh, Jafarabad district in Balistan, things are getting worse and uh, many waterborne diseases and other diseases are rising. And uh, apart from that, there many towns have been inaccessible due to the washing away of bridges, roads. As you know, the most two affected provinces are, are very poor in terms of infrastructure. So they have been the at most. So it's very hard now. More than 180 helicopters are being used for relief and rescue work. So it's still ongoing. And uh, uh, we don't know about the exact damage and losses, but more than uh, 1,100 people have been killed so far. And apart from that, more than $10 billion losses had occurred to Pakistan, according to the Planning and Development Minister. I know that you are heading out to investigate tomorrow. So can you tell us where are you going to and, I mean, what do you expect to find? Actually, I'm going to the south part of Pakistan, which is uh, Sindh and Balochistan. They are quite close to each other. They are neighbouring provinces. So they have been at the, at the most. And I've, I'm going to investigate about the crops, like, Many crops, uh, like according to the reports, 2.5 billion Pakistan had lost because of the how the, the crops were washed away. And uh, there have been uh, like around 1 million, I guess, if I'm not wrong, and animals and livestock have been killed in this uh, flesh flood. So, and apart from this, I'm going to uh, investigate about the diseases they are in rise with their waterborne diseases. Just imagine in a city, in a town, which is of mud houses, that is just as the climate change miniature, everywhere is an ocean. But now it's been three to four days. There is complete and disforcing heat and sun. Now it's multiplying uh, the, the, the impacts and people are getting sick. And people don't have clean drinking water. And people don't have uh, food shortages. To, to help deal with those shortages, I guess the rest of the world is hoping that international aid would, would help. So, I mean, as you understand it, do you know how much has come in or even how it's going to be distributed? I think so far it's Turkey it sent some aid, UAE had sent some aid. I think uh, 
the china it's sent some aid that that is on its way and un and us and uk but i think there are like a drop in the ocean the the way pakistan has been devastated as the prime minister of pakistan clearly stated that and as entire life actually we had a meeting with prime minister some foreign correspondents had a meeting with he personally said like in his entire lifetime he has never seen such situation in devastations in pakistan neither in his political career neither nor in his personal life so i think the west or the industrialized world particularly they have a big role in this uh, carbon emission and it's a particularly a climate catastrophe and pakistan doesn't contribute there is quite a discourse in pakistan everyone is discussing it like pakistan doesn't contribute uh, more than a uh, 1% in carbon emission but pakistan countries like pakistan they are at the receiving end and it's because of the industrialized world which is waste so they are criticizing the waste and they have to play their role in controlling the pollution and carbon emission so on and so forth and countries like pakistan they are already poor in terms of infrastructure and this flash flood triggered by a monsoon is come at a time when pakistan is already facing an economic crisis along with that there's a political crisis as well now this flash flood is worsening the situation Uh, That's Shamir Balosh in Pakistan. It is 17 minutes past five and you're listening to First Up here on RNZ National. We shift to Africa now where they're getting very excited about the Football World Cup. No one more excited than our correspondent Nabil Ahmed. Morena, Nabil. Morena, Nitan. How are you? I'm very good. Look, before we get to the football, though, tell me about this. Um, uh, some, uh, Some news here. A kidnapped US Catholic nun has been freed in Burkina Faso. Tell us about this. Uh, indeed, uh, Nathan, uh, we are learning from the Bishop of the Catholic Church in Burkina Faso that uh, this nun um, was 83 years old and she was actually taken hostage from the local parish in the middle of the night, uh, leaving behind her glasses and then uh, her blood pressure medication. Now, the identity of these kidnappers is still not known, even though released and um, we know that uh, there have been several militant groups carrying out such attacks in Faso, and there are suspicions that linked to them. But what we know is that there is excitement, the fact that uh, the nun has been released, even though we do not know who uh, was behind the kidnapping. Why, if we go to Malawi here, can you tell me why was Malawi's ex-election commissioner jailed? Well, um, she was actually <laughs> jailed because of flouting um, the rule that says that when there is a presidential convoy passing through the streets, all other cars would have to pave way or stop for that presidential uh, convoy to pass. She actually said no to her driver not to stop. And this case has been ongoing for some years now, since 2019. And then um, now she's been convicted to 18 months in prison for failing to give way to the presidential convoy, I mean, two years ago. Now, um, the driver also has been found guilty of the same offense and will serve 15 months in prison. Uh, We know that uh, this is not a rare case. Something like this has been happening in Malawi. And three years ago, uh, police arrested an ambulance driver for not giving way for the former president's convoy in this same uh, um, uh, situation, Nathan. 
It's unbelievable. Uh, let's go to uh, Zimbabwe now. We've had it in our news headlines as well. Tell me about this amazing dinosaur, uh, dinosaur discovery there in Zimbabwe. Indeed, uh, Nathan, a rare uh, dinosaur uh, which was near skeleton uh, has been on Earth in northern Zimbabwe. And uh, according to researchers, this particular find, um, the dinosaur shows that the dinosaur was ar- uh, alive around 230 million years ago. Uh, There's quite a lot of years, and they actually see that this particular find is very, very rare. And uh, that were around um, there uh, since '92, and research to really uncover this particular find has been ongoing since 2017. Uh, so further investigations are ongoing to really uh, know more about uh, this particular dinosaur, Nathan. I always liked the Triceratops. I just thought it was a cool-looking one. But that's not important right now because tell us about what's happening on the football front in Africa this week. Well, this weekend, Ghana will be hosting the World Cup uh, here in Accra. Um, on Saturday, we are World Cup uh, would arrive uh, in Accra. And then on Sunday, it would go around. I mean, the president would receive the World Cup uh, in the presence of other uh, dignitaries, and then it will be on display for all who want to come and see it. So there is a lot of excitement here in Ghana as we await the coming of this particular uh, World Cup. Uh, you know, Ghana has qualified to play, and that's why it's getting the chance to actually see this particular World Cup. And from Ghana, it, it will actually move to Senegal and other parts of West Africa. And here we are all patiently waiting for the weekend to come so uh, I mean so fast so that we can see the gold cup, uh, Nathan. Excellent. Thank you very much, Nabil. I hope to see a picture of you uh, with the uh, the World Cup. There he is, uh, our man, uh, Nabil Ahmed. Favourite dinosaurs, 2101. Come on, everyone had them at one stage. You all did. Uh, 2101, if you'd like to contribute to the show. Uh, I'm Nathan Radari, and you're listening to First Up here at RNZ National. So coming up, we're going to talk about the state of COVID in New Zealand with Dr Michael Baker and where we are now. And wake up the kids, tell the neighbours. Fruit of the Week is next. <laughs> I have bunch of coconuts Where they are standing in the air Big ones, small ones, some It is the first Friday of September, so there's no better time to catch up with the Minister of Fruit and Veggies, Glenn Forsyth, as spring is on the horizon. Morena, Glenn, how are you? Morena, my friend, how are you, my friend? I'm really good. Now, you dropped off a small, uh, you dropped off some, some liquid for us to try. Why don't you explain it to the audience, and then I'll give you the written reviews of uh, three of us here. Yeah, I mean, that, that blueberry juice you said your reporter tried last Thursday at the Costco store preview. You know, I snuck up to your office this Wednesday to deliver some at your desk. And, you know, we're like a happy marriage, aren't we? What Nathan wants, Nathan gets. Yeah. Anyway, buddy, um, yeah, what, what what did you think of it? Okay, here's the reviews. Uh, my daughter Darcy said, I would drink that again. Uh, Ryla said, tart but good. And uh, Katrina's Brian, he said tart but nice. I thought it was a bit tart, but it was really nice as well. And I know that Tom, a reporter who went along, he was like, whoa. I don't, so I don't know how you spell that, but it was good. <laughs> oh, I love it. The, the creator of this juice is Eden Orchards and manager Cameron Bignell 
told us more. I mean, we all know the benefits of blueberries, which carry the label of being an antioxidant superfood, making them the top choice of doctors and nutritionists. But getting it in juice form is next level. And in each 750 ml bottle is all New Zealand product, 1.5 kilos of blueberries. And that's it. No added sugar water, artificial colours or preservatives, just one ingredient. So, you know, you got the sneak peek of the two-litre casks, which will be at Costco when it opens on the 28th of this month, but the bottles are available at Farrow's, Jack Lum, Huckleberries and Select New Worlds, or you can go online to edenorchards.co.nz and buy six times 750 ml bottles for $140, uh, freight included. Now, when you consider a bottle costs about $23 this way for 12 equivalent punnets of blueberries in each one, that's about $2 a punnet, and most of the year, Fresh blueberries cost more than that. So, you know, um, it's a good buy. Cam says people drink a small glass in the morning or mix it in with their smoothie. Or on hot afternoons, a bigger glass mixed with some ice-cold sparkling water, which may take a little bit of that tartness away, Nathan. Oh, nice. <laughs> drink one glass. Come on. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. really nice. Hey, tell us, um, what's, uh, what's fresh in uh, fruit at the moment? Oh, well, no, sorry, vegetables. Firstly, we have a little bit veggies, of a disaster. Yeah, we have a bit of a disaster looming on vegetables for the month of September, and in particular popular greens such as broccoli and cauliflower, the hailstorm in the, in the Horofenua, and lack of planting then elsewhere due to the atrocious weather, we are going to unfortunately get that vacuum in supply this month. Already a lot of heads in the leafy green family are also getting very small, you may have noticed, and we still have some you know, insane prices on product like tomatoes, eggplant, and capsicums this time of year. I mean, there's a saying in the market, you get gold for garbage and garbage for gold, so it's still a little dire. In Aussie this winter, there was a bit of a swing away from fresh to frozen and canned produce instead. So let's look at what is good, however, this weekend on veggies, apart from carrots and spuds. But coomera, pumpkin and parsnips, they also featured in good supply down here. Green coloured vegetables included leeks, celery, Aussie round beans and telegraph cucumbers. And something new to try are ebony yams, a darker colour, newer variety, but same delicious flavour. Mm. Okay, I might try those ones. I quite like my yams. Uh, tell me this. Uh, let's get to fruit. I was dead keen for fruit. What's going on? Okay, some product looking good on the floors yesterday were navel oranges, afora mandarins and lemons. Lots of green kiwi fruit. Just, yeah, tons of them. Australian strawberries seem to be on tap at present and some grapes remain for sale before the next arrival. However, we have been waiting until September to mention the fruit of the week today. Are you Glenn, ready? Glenn. Hi, Glenn. What's your fruit of the week? New Zealand avocados. <laughs> Yeah, no, look, we are in the thick of it now, and the oil content is better come spring, which transitions into better flavour. We talked with New Zealand Avocado Collective this week, and with a lot of export being packed, that means a lot for New Zealand consumers too. The next two weeks is going to be, a uh, big pardon, the next two months is going to be great deals on avocados, an excellent start to spring produce. We're crazy for them. I mean, I happily slice and dice a whole one and mix it in a bowl of rice and Thai, thai cashew nut. Chicken, for example, no problem at all. Now that yeah, now that avocados are going that nice dull colour, buy ahead and and buy them firm and ripen them at home in a brown paper bag in the in the hot water cupboard for a couple of days with some apples, kiwi fruit or bananas in the bag too. And keep buying ahead though. You know, have your own ripening facility going on at home. Can, yeah, can, so can we it. give the the first up audience that tip? You push the button on the top. Right, so that's how you know if yes, it's ripe yes, or you not. Do. You know, the little bit where it snaps off from the tree, listeners. If if you just give it that little push, that'll tell you how soft it is on the inside. So that way, you don't have to squeeze the entire thing and and bruise it. Exactly right. Yes, and and also if you push a toothpick through then uh, through that part to the stone, you know it's ready to go. Oh, what about that extra toothpick stuff? Thank you very much, Glenn. There he is, Glenn Forsyth, our Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Yeah, so um, 
It's a bad month for cabbage fans, uh, so carrots and spuds, they really get to shine here in September. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It is the birthday of the beautiful. It is the 2nd of September. Keanu Reeves, just so lovable. And his story, if you don't know about his story, read about his uh, oh, his child and his and his partner. That was, it was incredible. Uh, Keanu Reeves, anyway. Born 58 years ago, the Canadian actor with the Hawaiian name, because his dad's Hawaiian. Uh, he was born in Lebanon uh, on this day 58 years ago. Selma Hayek, uh, Mexican soap opera actress who ended up in a movie called Desperado and just blew up, went everywhere. Uh, 56 years old today. And tennis bad boy. But he was fun. Jimmy Connors, 70 years old today. On uh, this day in 1666, people went, goodness, the Great Fire of London happened. It took out 13,000 homes, destroyed St Paul's Cathedral, uh, burned for about four days and is said to have started in a bakery. Uh, On this day in 1850, Albert Spaulding was born. He was an American Hall of Fame baseball player. So if you've got yourself a uh, a Spaulding tennis racket or you use balls or anything like that, or maybe you've worn the sneakers over the years, that's where it comes from. Albert Spaulding. So he was a Hall of Fame baseball player. He went on to manage the Chicago Cubs very successfully, and then he founded the Spaulding Spaulding Goods Company with his brother 26 years after he was born. And uh, on this day in 1960, it was golden hour at the Rome Olympics, New Zealand. Shaking the world, Peter Snell lines up, wins the 800, and then Murray Helberg winning the 5,000 metres. And that is the day of our life that we like to call the 2nd of September. It's business, it's business time. That's what you're trying to say, you're trying to say, let's get down to business, it's business time. It's business, it's business time. It is business time, and it's Giles Beckford when we do. Kia ora, Giles, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Nathan. Favourite dinosaur? Did you uh, have one? Uh, Diplodocus. Yes. Yep. The Diplodocus. The Diplodocus. Very, it's interesting one. Um, so uh, tell me this, Giles. Uh, this morning, I think you're having a look at what is it, the effects of, is it Russian sanctions? Well, yes. After I came off air with you yesterday morning, uh, on the text machine, somebody said, perhaps if Giles has got a spare moment, he might look at Russian sanctions. Uh, and I just took that to mean, well, the effect of them, the cost of them. So, you know, your wish is our command. Thank you. Uh, and uh, I've just done a little bit of um, uh, research, uh, amongst other things. Now, the latest numbers that came out of Moscow uh, just the other day said that the Russian economy shrank a mere 0.4% in the first six months of the year. To give you some perspective, our economy shrank 0.2% in the first three months of the year. So not too much there. They're suggesting that one of the big drivers of growth, which is capital investment, in other words, they're putting people, putting money into businesses, uh, into buildings, into machinery and the like, that was actually up nearly 8%. Uh, for the first half of the year. Now, it goes on and on like that. Uh, you know, it, uh, I think the best forecast out of the Russian government is that their economy might shrink by 3%. 
the, through, for the full year. But this is all in stark contrast to the uh, dire predictions that b- were being made by the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and, and other bodies when the sanctions were imposed at the start of the Ukraine war. And if you remember straight away, the sanctions went in. They tried to cut off Russia from the international financial centers uh, and the system. Uh, there were forecasts that the economy would shrink by 11%, that uh, inflation would hit more than 20%, that the currency would go through the floor. Uh, and you'd have to say that hasn't largely happened. Huh. If anything, the sanctions have cost the countries and the Western economies more through higher energy costs and through higher food costs than it's actually cost the Russian economy. Now, uh, some people suggest that the Russians are actually massaging the statistics that they're not true or they're not to be trusted. Um, it's all part of the propaganda campaign. Uh, and that may well be the case because, you know, given that relations now have been uh, cut to the bone, there's very uh, there's great difficulty in trying to verify uh, numbers that come out of there. But we do know that although the West may not be buying Russian oil, India and China are buying it in vast quantities. Uh, we do know that uh, Russian goods uh, have been flowing out of uh, there into uh, quite a wide range of uh, countries uh, through Asia, uh, through Africa, uh, as well as China and India. Uh, And we do know that the countries that actually impose the sanctions, um, you know, they've written off billions of dollars because they've pulled out of Russia. And so they've written off billions of dollars in investment uh, that they've made in Russia. So you'd have to say that just on uh, a broad assessment that from the looks of it, Russia has got away relatively lightly from the economic sanctions. Now, it may well be that in time the damage done to their economy will be much greater, and that we'll have to wait and see. But for the time being, you'd say that the sanctions have not achieved, uh, and they're certainly uh, not achieved what was expected, and the cost has been borne probably more by Western people, uh, Western countries, than by the Russians. Mm. Yeah, Giles, thank you very much for looking into that. Thank, and also, too, thank you, listener, for, uh, for sending that in as well. Giles Beckford, see, best in the business. Uh, you can hear more from the uh, business team this morning on Morning Report at 10.27. Let's go to your money markets now. Remember, this is very exciting because every Friday we decide whether it's called soccer or football based on which currency is doing better out of the US or the euro. So here we go. Your New Zealand dollar buys you 89.47 Australian cents, 52.55 British pence, 4.19. Yuan, 84.95 Japanese yen, 133.66 Pakistani rupee. It'll buy you 60.71 US cents and 60.96 euro cents. This week we've gone back to football. Last week we were soccer. That's the exciting finance news. Yeah, the sport now. The All Blacks face the Pumas again in Hamilton tomorrow night, hoping to turn around last week's 28-15 defeat in Christchurch. TAB's very optimistic. They've got a dollar twenty on the All Blacks and $4.30 on Argentina. Uh, but what do the Hamilton locals think? Our reporter Leonard Powell made a pit stop in Hamilton and hit the streets to ask. I black the All Blacks all the way. Obviously, yeah, they're going to win. I reckon I'll lose. I think New Zealand's going to lose. They just signed up with their coach and he's not doing the best right now. 
and I don't know if their captain is the best fit right now. My whole family loves All Blacks. We're quite sad to not see them win right now. Hate rugby, so it's certainly not watching. I mean, the whole country will cry if they lose. They need a bloody kick in the bum. Well, I'd have to say uh, I'm back in the All Blacks, but I'm not sure at the moment. We'll see. I can't give out some scores at the moment because last time I did one we got thrashed. <laughs> like 25-13. Oh, I think Argentina's got a good go against the All Blacks, the way that All Blacks have been playing at the moment. So um, probably 23-17 to the All Blacks. Oh, no idea. I mean, as I said, if New Zealand win and deserve to win, good on them. And if the other team win and deserve it, good on them. Hamilton Locals speaking uh, to our Leonard Powell there. So joining us uh, from the sports department, Barry Guy. Morena Barry, you've heard the mood of the people and that's basically come around because the team, it's not really changed that much, is it? No. Uh, (laughs) uh, One team's going to win and one team's going to lose. Yes. Yeah, you can't go past that one really, can you? you $4 though, something for Argentina. It was similar last week, wasn't it? Yeah. I want to know who had money on them on them and I haven't heard I haven't heard anyone crowing that they've made a whole lot of money on Argentina Uh, there is a uh, the Carisbrook Bush Pigs in the under 5 national under 85 kilogram national championships I think they're playing the uh, curtain raiser to a game there I love that it's a great competition I know they tried to launch it then COVID happened which complicated things but the under 85s it's it's a really good competition Carisbrook won won last year I think it was overall and they're um, into the playoffs there so there's a big game there from uh, my daughter down at Otago just wanted me to give that a plug nice the Carisbrook Bush Pigs are playing (laughs) Uh, tomorrow. Uh, also, rugby is the semi-finals of the Farah Palmer Cup this weekend. Got a story coming up on the web a bit later this morning. Shantane Poko, uh, former uh, uh, Kiwi Fern and played in the NRLW for the Warriors and also Newcastle. She's uh, playing in the Centres for Canterbury this year. She's been playing both uh, rugby and league this season. Uh, playing rugby on the Saturday and league on the Sunday. That's quite 1980s, the, isn't it? Yeah, at the top of her game. Yeah. So uh, we're going to hear from more from uh, Shantae. Well, you can read about that on the web uh, uh, later this morning. Yeah. Hey, um, and, and you know, uh, we earlier on we spoke to Bevan Hurley in uh, the United States. So he's uh, in New York City, and of course the US Open, huge over there in the tennis. Just thinking, people always bring up, yeah, but you know, Margaret Court won 24. You know, Serena's what was she about 23? I think. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, they're just different athletes now. Do you think if the two of them played now at their peak, would Margaret Court win a game off Serena? Not using that Spalding racket that. We yeah. talked about just before. No, I don't it's, think it's so. It's a completely eh? different game. Uh, Serena is, um, yeah, she's well, she's a legend, isn't she? Yeah, she's outstanding. I can just see when the draw came out for uh, the U.S. Open, and who did she beat yesterday? Anna Kontaveit. That some of these will be going. Oh no, this is possibly Serena's. Mm. You know, she's not going to go down easily. <laughs> and they would have been goodness. I'm going to have to play Serena in the in the second round. And the draws opened up now. She Contevit was the second seed, and so it's sort of opened up for Serena now. You know, all going uh, well for her. Yes, she's got another few rounds. I think possibly Angebert of uh, Tunisia, the fifth seed, so her next biggest hurdle, and that may not be for another couple of rounds yet. So. Uh, 
Yeah, fantastic, fantastic for her. The the Serena Williams baseline when she's on the right hand side of the court and she point, you know that four that forehand's coming. The one where she points at it yep. and just the follow through with that nasty topspin on it is one of the most beautiful sights in world sport. I love it. I just the rhythm of it, the swing of it, the accuracy is absolutely beautiful. So I know, I know it's difficult on the hard court, but if you can get her yeah. running a bit more, you might you might have a chance. You might have a chance. You know, when you get to our age. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if she served at me for a whole game, if I could hit one. I don't reckon I could. I reckon she could serve at me a hundred times, and there wouldn't. There was an NFL player, huge guy, and they asked him once, they went, Marshawn Lynch, if you played Serena Williams at tennis, would you beat her? And he went, that's not fair. And they went, why? Because you're a football player. And he went, no, because she's, ter- she's Serena Williams. <laughs> I thought, beautiful answer. Barry Guy, thank you very much for weekend. your time, sir. Yeah. We're heading towards 6 o'clock, so between now and 6, of course, we'll catch up with Morning Report. We're going to speak with uh, Professor Michael Baker as well about the state of COVID. Also, we're going to find out about spring. A lot of world weather events going on, so Niwa will be with us. The professionals of Morning Report are here to educate you after six and send you into your weekend. All smarted up. It's Corin Dan who's with us. Kia ora, sir. How are you? Kia ora. Good morning, Nathan. Good morning, everybody. Uh, yes, busy Friday show this morning. We'll look at the issue of dairy owners uh, still... Uh, wanting more help from the government with the ram raid issue, uh, getting that support they uh, they need. Uh, police staff, an interesting story this morning. Nearly nearly 100 police staff have taken a personal grievance against receiving negative treatment for refusing the COVID vaccine. This is some of those who have come back to the police after the end of the mandate. So we'll have more on that from Ben Strang. How many police staff do we have nationally? Oh, that's a tough question. Twenty thousands. Oh, I yeah. don't know about twenty thousand. I think it's half that or something. Yeah, okay. Would be yeah. my guess. Uh, we also will, of course, cover the All Blacks, Nathan. Um, hmm. I just, uh, I just. <laughs> last week, to... <laughs> last week was a real new low for me. I don't know about you, but that was just was glum. the toughest loss. I, was glum. I think I can remember. Worse than all the others for some reason. Yeah. Why was that? It was just. It was just what was horrible was at the end of it, I found myself happy for Michael Checker. And, and I was like, oh, good on him. And then I, yeah. I actually, I actually, you know, I don't know. I, mean, I, don't, good on I quite like Michael Checker. I agree. I, I don't mind him. He was, and, he, he was a good character. And my favourite player for another team in the world is Thomas Lavanini, who's the Argentinian lock, who uh, oh, yeah. reminds me of Dion Moller. He's amazing. So, um, yeah. Uh, I guess no, we'll, 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 we'll talk to Scotty Stevens, like we'll to talk win, to though. Ian Jones, we'll try and get to the bottom. I mean, the problem is, that, you know, okay, we bounce back and win, but where does that leave us? I don't yeah. think anyone, rugby fans, don't really b- b- believe that things are being sorted. That's no. the problem. No, that's the prevailing thought, I think. Well, look, um, you, we'll join you up after yes. 6 o'clock. Thank very you good. very much, sir. Uh, yes, it is uh, heading towards 6 o'clock right now. Well, I mean, look, weather stories just dominating the world news at the moment. Floods in Pakistan, you've got hail the size of melons that's falling uh, that I've seen around the world as well. Uh, massive dry spells uh, unearthing old ruins as riverbeds dry up. Uh, so what's going on with us here? So joining us uh, from Niwa is uh, meteorologist Tristan Myers. Kia ora. Tristan, how are you? Kia ora, Nathan. Pretty good this morning. How are you, yourself? I'm very good. So tell me, um, what, what's in the winter summary? Because it did seem pretty wet uh, in Auckland City. Yeah, that's right. So uh, the final uh, statistics of uh, winter are still coming out. We're actually working on that today. But you're right. It was very, very wet across large parts of New Zealand. And it's shaping up to be one of, uh, looking at the statistics right now, it's, it's shaping up to be one of the wetter winters we've ever had, as well as one of the warmest. So those final stats, though, will be out later today. 
Okay. Um, and a lot of people will look and go, right, we, we got that. What is in the, the forecast that, you know what I mean, I guess the best you can get it there for September? Will, will La Nina mm. be hanging around? Will it be a wet one? Because it's, it's, it has been a bit sunny just recently. Yeah, that's right. So uh, we, we do uh, look at the over the next three months. So we just released our uh, spring seasonal outlook. And you're right, La Nina is still with us. And it's looking like it will get even stronger. So what does that really mean for us? It means that those atmospheric rivers that we're seeing uh, and that we've had seen, look, they look like we have an increased risk of them even going into spring. Um, overall for us, though, what does that mean on the ground? Well, it means that northern parts of New Zealand could experience a wetter than normal springtime. But other areas like the western South Island, western North Island, they could be even drier than normal because we're not going to be seeing those usual spring westerlies that we get. But what I do expect with some level of confidence is that we are going to be seeing a warmer than normal spring. It's, it's pretty clear. We have very warm sea surface temperatures right around us right now. And so we're expecting a warmer than normal spring. I must say, though, um, it, it looks like the first part of spring is going to be a bit wet as well as a bit cold. But one weather outbreak does not make a season. So I'll just mention that. So, Tristan, you know, you mentioned a term I hadn't heard before, which was the, the atmospheric river, mm-hmm. which appeared this year. And yes. look, I, I know this is asking into the future and crystal ball gazing. But <laughs> as you have a look at that and the way that the world's weather is now undoubtedly changing, is that thing, you know, atmospheric river, is that do you think it's going to become part of New Zealand's winter for the foreseeable future? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Nathan, and uh, something that we're trying to really get to the bottom of. What what we can see, though, is that you know, for every degree increase we get in the atmosphere, it can hold 7% more water, and that's just sort of a fact of you know looking at heating up the air. And so if you have more water available in the air, you know, it can lead to more moisture availability in these atmospheric rivers that we're seeing. And I just want to say atmospheric rivers are they're a noble part of New Zealand's climate, but they're also responsible for like a disproportionate amount of extreme rainfall that we get, like what we saw in Nelson and Tasman and parts of Northland. So um, look, it looks like um, we could see potentially more of these extreme precipitation events um, going forward due to these atmospheric rivers. Um, but uh, look, we're still investigating if that's going to be occurring more in winter or not. So now that makes me wonder about Christmas, New Year's, because there is almost that traditional news story of a reporter standing somewhere with someone canoeing in the background in a campground. So uh, will will we have a wet Christmas, do you think? Oh, that's uh, you're asking me to look into a crystal ball. I don't yes. have a set, Nathan. Um, but look, I, it, La Nina looks like it'll stick around. So that's really the only um, the only thing I can I can tell you there. La Nina strengthening and then continuing into next year is what is what we reckon over here. Um, and so because of that, probably going to see warmer than normal conditions and continuing to see wetter than normal conditions for northern parts of New Zealand, just just as what we see with La Nina. But as for Christmas Day itself, I mean, you might as well throw a, a dart at a dartboard right now. It'll be amazing. There we go. We'll just say that. It'll be amazing, and that'll send us out there with a bit of optimism. Thank you very much. Tristan Myers, uh, meteorologist there from Niwa. Quite interested in the uh, COVID numbers uh, just recently. Australia's reduced their COVID isolation period from five days, uh, from seven days to five, for asymptomatic people. Uh, and from next Friday, masks are also going to be scrapped on their country's domestic flights. It's interesting. So, COVID community cases here uh, continue to fall. Just over 2,000 cases were reported yesterday. Uh, just 286 people are in hospital with the virus. Still terrible that there are 286 people in there, but at least that number is, is uh, falling. Um, leading people to 
ask, is the pandemic uh, over? I'm going to say no. Uh, joining us now is uh, University of Otago epidemiologist uh, Professor Michael Baker, and it's always good to get to say kia ora, sir. How are you? Yeah, Morena, Nathan. Good to hear your voice. So, look, spring is officially upon us, and I, I'm just wondering here, from what you can tell, and this might be a trend of what you've seen so far, the way that numbers go up and numbers go down, it reminds me of those old 1970s surfing films where they were always chasing the summer. Is COVID turning into one of these infections or viruses that chases the winter? Yeah, it's a good question. At the moment, this virus does not need winter to spread. And we actually saw this in the southern hemisphere in the height of summer was when the virus spread most. So at this stage, it's a pandemic virus, so it can spread any season, any season very effectively. But eventually, we might see it settle down into being more of a winter infection, but, but not yet. Okay, so with these numbers dropping, and with you know, with maybe longer days and people spending more time outside, do you think it's time to move to the you know the green traffic light framework? Yeah, look, we have to also think what what does it even mean now, the green traffic light? Because mm. essentially, it means we just remove all mask requirements, and I think that that would be. Um, Possibly, you know, not a great idea at the moment. I mean, at the very least, I think we should look at keeping mask requirements, say, in healthcare facilities and aged care, uh, because then you've got lots of vulnerable people. And, you know, if you go into the emergency department or a doctor's waiting room, I think you should still be wearing a mask in that environment. So what, what I'm hoping is that we'll look at all the controls we've got and we will adjust the ones where they're less important now that the virus numbers are dropping. Um, yeah, so because they, so they're dropping their masks there in Australia on planes from next week. I, I, I get the feeling you don't think we should do the same. I, look, I think it's a, a reasonable debate because, of course, as the numbers come down, the chance of you being in a plane with someone with this virus, for instance, starts to get quite low. Mm-hmm. So, so mask requirements are less critical. Uh, but we might still want to keep them on public transport, for instance, um, so there are a number of, you know, I think it's a matter of look, working through all of the controls and saying which are really important. Um, with um, the the um, self-isolation, if you've got a case, that that needs to stay because um, it, it doesn't, it's not affected by the numbers of cases in the community. It's just the idea that basically if you have this infection, uh, you shouldn't be going to work or school or out socialising regardless of how many cases there are in the community because that will infect other people. Yeah. There, there, there was some news out of the United States. The FDA over there has approved an, an, uh, what they call an Omicron-adapted COVID-19 booster, and Pfizer are making it Amaduna as well uh, to target uh, two spike proteins. Can we expect a yearly COVID booster along with our yearly flu jabs to be part of our lives from now on? Yeah, look, I think that's very likely. And, of course, there are some companies that um, are, are going to produce a combined product so you can get COVID and influenza in the same shot. So that'll be just a bit more convenient. But uh, one of the, I think, probably the most likely scenario with this virus is it will resemble more and more the situation with influenza where you need your annual shot for two reasons. One is that the virus is changing and so the, the vaccine needs to be reformulated. And it will, I mean, the, the vaccine for flu is quadrivalent. It's got four components. The new um, COVID vaccine will be bivalent. So it will have these two components in it. It may even get more components in the future that would give us the best protection um, from vaccines. But the other reason for getting it, of course, is as with flu, your immunity wanes. So you do need to get that annual top up. 
but this we still don't know how this will settle down, what the optimal vaccination will be with COVID-19. I mean, it's still out there. It still seems to be targeting people who haven't had it, be it vaccinated or unvaccinated, doesn't it? It's not like, I mean, I know our numbers have dropped a little bit. It's not like it's disappeared. No, not at all. And people sometimes forget that at a global level, COVID-19 was the world's number one cause of death for two years running, you know, 2020, 2021. It may be even the same this year. So it's had a massive global impact. New Zealand, by by delaying its arrival, we've achieved high vaccine coverage, and we still have net what's called negative, negative uh, excess mortality in New Zealand. We're one of the la- only countries in the world that's achieved this. So everyone in New Zealand, I think, should really congratulate our country's leadership on what it's achieved. It's a remarkable outcome. And I know it's inconvenient to keep some of these controls, and obviously we can drop some. But I think now we're in the position we know enough to know which ones to drop and which ones to keep. Uh, Well, uh, it's always a pleasure to get to speak to you. Thank you very much, Professor Michael Baker there, of course, University of Otago epidemiologist. Yeah, I got it. I mean, I got it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, absolutely thumped me. And and my thing that I'm finding is um, I'm losing all concept of time. So just to, to tell you about it, and maybe you've had it this way as well. I got out and filled the car the other day at the petrol pump, got back in. I could swear that took 20 minutes. I finished yesterday's program here. Couldn't remember it uh, afterwards. Uh, so sorry for my garbled ending on the end of the show yesterday because I was just trying really hard to cope. It's um, it affects everyone quite differently, doesn't it? It's a it's a stinger. I'll I'll tell you that. Look, uh, lots of people here. People going, hey, yep, uh, sponsorship for Plunkett. This is good. What about A2 Milk? Uh, another one. Barbara says my Plunkett nerve saved me from insanity. I had twins born prematurely. All oh, that's hard work. Yeah, they do incredible work, don't they? Incredible work. Uh, and um, Jeff says my output freshman rugby is indicative of a woeful lack of imagination. That's Jeff Walker in Christchurch, and Trish is enjoying. 